When you run an online business, your marketing metrics will tell you what in your business is profitable and where you're throwing money away. Yikes. That's pretty important, right? Luckily, I've put together the Ultimate Marketing Metrics Checklist, which is a free resource that will guide you through tracking and analyzing the most crucial metrics for your business. And let me tell you, I'm going to keep it simple but effective. From evergreen data and revenue generation to podcast metrics and social media growth, this cheat sheet will cover it all. It's the exact one my team and I use to track our metrics on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, and annual basis. Let me be honest here. This wasn't an overnight process win for me. It took me 10 years to build this comprehensive list and get it just right. But you, my friend, can start using it today, tailoring it to suit your business-specific needs, but not having to start from scratch like I did. Whether you're a seasoned marketer or just getting started, this cheat sheet will help you make informed decisions as you grow your business and empower you to move forward confidently. So go to amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics to get your hands on the ultimate marketing metrics cheat sheet now. That's amyporterfield.com forward slash metrics. Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Online Marketing Made Easy Podcast. I'm your host, Amy Porterfield, and today's episode is extra special. I got the opportunity to interview someone who I just really admire, and that is Seth Godin. Seth has a brand new book coming out called This Is Marketing. You can't be seen until you learn to see. And this book, guys, is so important. It's a must read. And I have to share a few things with you before you actually listen to this episode. Okay. Obviously, you know who Seth Godin is. And if you have read any of his stuff, you know how important his message is. So with that, maybe you can understand that I was a lot nervous for this interview. It's rare that I get nervous interviewing anybody. And so I was surprised to kind of feel my jitters right before I got on live with Seth today. I literally ended the interview like 10 minutes ago. And so I just want to put it out there that Every bit of my personality is pretty much stripped from this interview because I was so nervous. And I don't tell you that to kind of put down myself or beat myself up because I'm actually not. I kind of love the fact that I still get giddy and excited and anxious about talking to people that are making such a huge difference in the online business world, in the marketing world to be specific with Seth. So yeah, I was really nervous to the point that I forgot to plug in the correct microphone. Yeah, I did that. I don't know if the editors can fix it or if you'll even notice it, but because I like to tell you guys the gritty, messy, behind the scenes kind of stuff, I didn't plug in the right mic and I was incredibly nervous up until the middle. But here's what kind of got me out of my nervousness in this interview and something I want to share with you. You will hear Seth talk about course creators and he's going to talk about how we spend too much time in the content and not enough time, money, effort, focus in creating the community of people that are learning from your content in your course. And it just hit me in the craziest way. And I can't wait for you to hear that part of the interview. I kind of just want you to forward to it, but I don't. You got to listen to the whole thing. It's so good. 
But here's what I want to tell you. Timing is everything. And I just finished two full days of a workshop I created called Finished, where I helped 100 people get ready to finish their course by December 31st, 2018. So at the time of this recording, we've got about two months left and their goal is to finish their digital course once and for all. And so we went from 8 a.m. till 9 p.m., two days in a row, where I taught and answered a million questions from stage and my students came together and they were just dedicated, super focused and just in it, in it to win it. So in the interview, you're going to hear Seth talk about this idea of serving the smallest viable market. And when I think about the 100 people that came together in San Diego just a few days ago, if my voice sounds a little bit off, it's because of that. I've been talking on stage for two days. But if I think about these 100 people that came together, their community they created, because they've been in a small Facebook group leading up to this, the community is incredible. They showed up like they were family. They talked about each other by name. They knew what each other were actually creating in their courses. They knew their struggles, their frustrations, their triumphs. They knew each other. And I've never had that experience at a live event before. They felt familiar to each other and they were there for each other. And they talked about supporting each other. At one point in the workshop, this woman was really struggling with her title and her ideal customer avatar. And by then she should have been over that and she just wasn't. And I said, hey, will seven of you take her out to lunch when we go to lunch and just love up on her and help her and get her past this obstacle? And probably 50 out of the 100 people, 50 hands popped up in the audience That doesn't happen in just a regular Facebook group. So when you hear Seth talk about community and how it's more important than the content that you put in your online course, I want you to know that that was profound to me. And it literally is going to affect how I teach my brand new course coming out, Digital Course Academy. It's coming out in January of 2019. It's going to affect how I teach And it's also going to affect how I put together the community for Digital Course Academy. I don't know how, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm inspired. And I was so touched by what Seth shared here. But time means everything because I don't think I would have heard him how I heard him today a week ago. But after my experience of these hundred people that came together and they felt like family, I get it. I get what he's saying. And so I want you to pay close attention to that, especially if you are a digital course creator or if you want to go on a journey with me so I could help you create your course in 2019 or beyond, listen closely to what Seth has to share. Actually, throughout this entire interview, I truly hope you love it as much as I have, and I hope it touches you in the same way. Okay, so before we get to this amazing interview. And it's short and sweet, just like Seth is in all of his communication online. So we really get down to the point in the interview. But before we get there, I want to give a listener shout out. This one is to the Bootstrap Boutique. And I loved what they said. They said, take notes. It's hard to listen to Amy's podcast without a pen in hand because she delivers so much actionable advice in each episode. Give it a listen and get ready to up your game. 
This could not be more true for this episode, not because of me, but because of Seth. So thank you so much, The Bootstrap Boutique. I really appreciate your kind words. And if you would like to leave a review, make sure you subscribe to my podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen and leave a review because I might just give you a shout out on my podcast. Okay, I won't make you wait any longer. Let's go ahead and jump into my interview with Seth Godin. Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's good to talk to you, Amy. Oh, so glad to have you here. At this point, I usually ask my guests to tell my audience a little bit about themselves. However, to be quite honest, my audience knows you well. So because we can kind of skip that, I was wondering if you could give us a little glimpse behind the scenes and tell us what a typical day looks like in your world. Oh, I've worked really hard not to ever have a typical day. <laughs> uh, I was I was the person that used to work next to you in that cubicle who was always making a ruckus and a typical day is not my friend. So it could go from not speaking to another human being for eight hours and just typing. It could go from that all the way to giving a talk or engaging with some of the coaches or people I work with around the world and it's all over the map. And I like it that way. Uh, I like it that way too. Definitely. So your new book is called This is Marketing. You can't be seen until you learn to see. Such an incredible book packed with wisdom. So first of all, thank you so much for writing this book. Well, that's so nice of you to say. It, you know, when you talk to someone early in the process. It's really nice to hear that. Thank you. Definitely. So I thought we could start out by you telling us your definition of modern marketing and what we should be measuring. Well, what marketers do is we make change happen. We are responsible for that. If no change happens, there is no marketing. If a change happens, that's on us. How do you make a change happen? Well, you used to do it by buying attention really cheap and then turning it into money so you could buy more attention. We call that advertising. But the world has shifted and that doesn't work anymore. And what works instead is making things better by making better things. Uh, What works instead is work that matters for people who care. And so I guess what we ought to be measuring is not clicks or percentages or any of that other stuff unless we're fully a direct marketer. I think what we ought to be measuring is who would miss us if we didn't show up and what is the value of the change we're making in the world. Who would miss us if we didn't show up? I love that and truly have never really looked at measuring my marketing that way. So I think this is going to resonate with so many of my listeners. We have really big hearts. My listeners do, and they really care. And so I know your book is going to resonate with them. So you talk about the fact that growth happens when a person focuses their attention and efforts on the smallest viable market and you serve the heck out of them. If you don't mind, can I read a little excerpt from your book? Oh, great. Let's do it. Okay. You said, find a corner of the market that can't wait for your attention. Go to their extremes. Find a position on the map where you and you alone are the perfect answer. Overwhelm this group's wants and dreams and desires with your care, your attention, and your focus. Make change happen. Change that so profound, people can't help but talk about it. Okay, first of all, brilliant. And my audience, they want to make a huge change. But I have to tell you, Seth, They are very worried about niching down. You talk about the smallest viable audience and that 
kind of freaks them out because they feel as though they won't grow if they do so. Can you talk to me about that? If that's the only thing someone gets out of the book, it was worth a hundred times what they paid for it. I hear you. Your audience, like most people, has been seduced and tricked into believing a couple things. First of all, that they can reach the whole world. You can't. No one can. That being a mass marketer is what you're supposed to be. Nah, not really. And ironically, that the safest thing to do is to be big. The safest thing to do is to be average. Because if you do that, no one can blame you. And if you do that, you're not being exclusionary. You're not, quote, niching down. But in fact, every important brand, every single one, Nike, Starbucks, Airbnb, Google, go down the list, everyone that's modern, that's less than 20 years old, started by serving a tiny group of people, serving them in a very specific way, putting all their chips onto Red 42. And if Red 42 doesn't come up, they're out. But you get to pick who you're going to serve. So only serve the people you want to serve that you care enough to serve. They just opened a knitting store down the street from me, and it's doing great. And the reason it's doing great in a world of Amazon, in a world where you can buy everything they sell cheaper somewhere else, is because it's not for me, and it's probably not for you. It's for a very particular person who's looking for a very particular thing. And if you don't have the guts to be a meaningful specific, why do you think you're going to succeed as a wandering generality? Mm. So very true. In your book, you wrote a case study about the success of an online meditation center. And you detailed eight reasons how this online business has made the impact that they have. And one that I'd love for you to talk about even more is this reason number seven. At every step along the way, create and relieve tension as people progress in their journeys toward their goals. This is a very big statement. I think it's very important. Can you talk to us about it? So what do we mean by tension? Right. Because it's easy to believe that what you're supposed to do is simply relieve tension. Like Excedrin gets rid of a tension headache. End of discussion. But everything that we do that causes change also causes tension. It's the tension of it might not work. I might get left behind. I might pay too much. I might buy the wrong one. I might not like the future I'm signing up for. All of these things happen before we change in any way. You felt that tension before you went to high school for the first day. You felt that tension when you bought a new car. It wasn't just happiness. If it was, we wouldn't need car salesmen. That car salesmen have as their job when they're doing their job right, helping us through the tension, the tension of it might not work. So what Susan has done in building her online meditation center is create tension along various steps. So the first step is, give me your email address and I will send you a video a couple of times a week about meditating. Well, a lot of people don't give her the email address because they don't trust her. And so if you're going to give your email address, there's some tension. What if she turns around and sells it to a spammer? Okay, so now you start getting these emails and they're working for you. And then she'll say something like, do you want to sign up for the paid session, which has this, this, and this? Suddenly there's new tension because I've, she has brought money into the equation and money always comes with tension. So my point is that what professional marketers do is they create tension on purpose. And it was interesting, your program's called 
online marketing made easy. Is that right? Right. Okay. The word easy is really interesting because what it actually is, is it's made simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult. <laughs> it's simple because all you have to do is a lot of hard work with generosity and empathy. But those three things are really hard. They're just simple. You make a great point there. And when I'm thinking about tension, so let's say you ask somebody to give you their email or you ask somebody to buy and you're creating this tension, I think it will make new marketers feel like, okay, well, what do I do about that tension? If, if somebody's feeling it, how do I relieve it? So what do you say about that? Well, there are two choices in every situation. You can either relieve it by walking away, which creates a new feeling in your brain, which is, oh, I missed out on something. Or you can relieve it by going forward, which creates a new feeling in your brain of, oh, I got something I wanted. So those are the only two choices, toward or away, in or out. And the mistake we make, particularly if we think that marketing is a, a referendum on us and our value as humans, is we bend over backwards to never get rejected. And because we're doing that, what we get is a whole bunch of maybes. And maybes are the simplest way to relieve tension. I'll just look at it later. But if you are living with maybes, you're almost never going to get a yes. Because once I say maybe to you, I've relieved the tension. I have no risk going forward. I'm done. It is much more valuable to you and to the person you seek to serve to challenge them to give you a no. Because a no means you never have to think about this again. Um, a no means you've thought it through. You never want to do this. And a no is okay. A no is a gift. Because a no lets you know that the person who just said no to you, it's not for them. At least not right now. Okay, great. I learned something. But all these maybes you're stacking up, you're just hiding. Oh, so true. So what does it look like to challenge someone to give you a no? Well, for example, if you're running a conference on Friday and ticket sales end on Wednesday at noon and someone comes to you Wednesday at 11 and says, uh, my boss is out of town. Can I sign up tomorrow? The right answer is, no, I'm sorry, you can't. Ticket sales close in an hour. Would you like to come? And they can say yes and they can say no. But in that moment, it's one or the other. That when we are shopping in a typical mall and the salesperson says, can I help you? Which is a question that means nothing. And you say, I'm just looking, which is an answer that means nothing. What you've basically said is maybe. There's no enrollment there. No one has raised their hand and said, I'm interested. Compare that to what happens when a lifeguard approaches someone who is drowning. When a lifeguard approaches someone who's drowning and offers a life raft, they take it because they're enrolled in the journey of not drowning. And so that's our goal as marketers is to find people who want to go where we are going, who want to experience what we are offering. And then we can teach them. We don't market at them. We market with them. We teach them what they need to know to go from here to there. So the marketing seminar, which I run, which is at marketingseminar.com, we built it first. And after 6,000 people have taken it, that's what led to this book. And what I know about those 6,000 people is they were enrolled in the journey. I didn't have to show up every day and hammer them, get back in it, get back in it. They were in it. They wanted to be part of it. They were committed. Marketing to people who are committed is 50 times easier than yelling at strangers. I just had this aha moment as you were talking. A couple of days ago, I finished a two-day workshop where I invited 100 people, 
of my list of hundreds of thousands to come to San Diego with me and let me help them finish their online course. So for two days, 100 people, we drilled down in finishing their digital course. And what I learned was at first I thought 100 people, I like to serve hundreds of thousands of people, or I like my events to be hundreds and hundreds of people because I think it might feed my ego, to be quite honest, to see all these people show up to hear from me. But it was just 100 people. And holy cow, they showed up like I've never seen before. I didn't have to talk them into doing the work. I didn't have to ask them to stay focused and get it done. They just showed up that way. And it was profound to me. So I'm assuming that's kind of what you're talking about. Exactly. And then here's what happens. They all left San Diego and people said, what'd you do this weekend? And they told them about you. That's what used to be called advertising. Mm. That people telling other people is how we grow today. If you think you can build a funnel where you can buy Facebook ads or buy Google ads and make enough money from the funnel to do it again, that's a very rare thing to pull off and it's going to get harder. Because as soon as you figure out how to do it, someone's going to bid a nickel more than you're bidding for that attention. And so this passive income funnel, I'll figure out how to put people through a squeeze page stuff. There was a moment in time when some people got away with that. But that's not how you build a brand that matters. and It's not how you make the contribution you want. Instead, you find people who want to be found. You talk to them in ways they want to be talked to. And you take them on a journey to where they want to go. Ah, I love it. Seth, understanding how to position our products or our programs or our services in a really noisy online space can be tough to figure out. I hear it from my students all the time. Now, in your book, you say that positioning is done as a service for your customer. Tell us what you mean by that and how can my listeners apply this concept to their own businesses? Well, it's common to hear people talk about differentiation. And differentiation is selfish. It says, I want my share more than my share of income. How do I show that I'm different? So I'll get it. Positioning done properly is a service. Here's the way I think about it. The person you are seeking to serve is overwhelmed with noise. They're confused. There's too many choices. Can you help them sort through their choices so they can pick what they want? So a simple example is potato chips. Now, what we could do is we could build axes, left and right, up and down, X and Y, and that makes a quadrant, four corners. So let's say the X axis is things like, is it a thin chip or is it a thick chip, right? And the up and down axes are things like, is it an organic, fancy gourmet chip or is it a supermarket brand? So in those four corners, there are four kinds of chips, totally different. Now, If you show up at the doorstep of the person who's making $9 a bag, bespoke, gourmet, Hawaiian, thick-cut, organic potato chips, and you say to that person, you got any Lay's? What they should not do is try to persuade you that they make a better chip because they don't. They make a different chip, a chip that if you're looking for it is the one you want. But what they should do is walk you down the aisle and say, the Lay's are right here. Enjoy them because their chips are not for you. You wanted a thin, cheap chip. They're busy selling something else. And so what we have to do as a marketer is figure out what the axes are. Not just draw axes that somehow magically make us the winner, 
but draw axes the way the consumer thinks about axes. And so, you know, if, if we were going to do this exercise for cars, I think we could figure out where does the Prius live, where does the Tesla live, where does the Ferrari live, and where does the Toyota Corolla live. We have a, an innate understanding of that. And the reason that Tesla did so well at the beginning was because Elon understood that there was a big, fat hole that his audience wanted him to fill. And so he did. And where we get into trouble is saying, how am I going to grow? How do I force myself onto the grid? As opposed to saying, where on the grid do my customers need me to go? Uh, makes you look at your competition a whole lot differently. Wow, that, that's good stuff. Okay, so you talk about how we as smart marketers do our best work when we focus on the change our customers want. And instead of just talking about the specs of our products or services, we speak about the emotion instead. So a lot of my students will talk about how many modules in their course and how many lessons and the PDFs and the support and all that stuff where you're saying, let's not talk about that and let's talk about the emotion. Can you give me more on that? Well, I'll try to make it specific. I think we can agree that for most of your students, most of their students don't finish the course. A hundred percent. And so does that mean the course is a failure? Does that mean that it didn't work at all? Because after all, if I had a leaky faucet in my house and I called the plumber and the plumber came and after she left, the faucet was still leaking, that wouldn't be okay. Because what I hired the plumber to do was make the faucet stop leaking. But if I take one of these courses, is that what I'm hiring you to do? create a course where I finish every single lesson? Probably not. What I'm probably doing when I take a course is changing my confidence, is changing the way I see myself when I look in the mirror, is finding inside of me the thing that I knew all along. Because after all, if all I want is the facts about how to macrame or run an online business or whatever, those are free online. I don't need to pay money for a course to, to learn those things. What I am seeking it's how it makes me feel to be connected to other people. What I'm seeking is a shift in how tall I am or how I could see myself making an impact. I can't find that by looking at your checkboxes. I can't find that by having an understanding that you have 18 chapters and this person has 16 chapters. That's not what I'm looking for. And so, first of all, I think a lot of online courses need help in order to deliver what they seek to deliver because they're too focused on content and not focused enough on community. But leaving that part aside, what I have found having taught many, many people over 30 years is that what people really want is to become a version of themselves who they can be friendly with and proud of. You just gave a huge gift to all my course creators. So thank you for that. And I can't help but hit on what you just said about the idea of too much content and not enough community. Can you talk to me about that one? Well, so I had the most popular Skillshare course in its category and the most popular Udemy course. And I like both those platforms. The videos were totally worth it. But what I found was I wasn't changing lives the way I knew I could. And so we built our own platform where there's only a few hours of video, maybe 10 at the most. But people do it for 100 days, sometimes an hour a day, five hours a day. What are they doing for 100 days? Well, 
The platform we built is about them engaging with each other and about them engaging with the work. Because here's what I've discovered. In all of my research, I have never met a toddler who learned how to walk by reading a book or watching a YouTube video. (laughs) That the way you learn how to walk is you walk poorly, you fall down, and then you do it again and again and again. And so if we can create environments where our students feel safe the same way a toddler feels safe, we can create an environment where they're actually going to learn something. And if there's content there to help them, that's great. But that's not what they need because the internet's filled with content. It's overfilled. What they need is the safe place and the tension that pushes them forward. So if we talk about a Facebook group and it's a community that a course creator has created to go along with their course content and they want more engagement in that community, they want people to communicate with each other and help each other and ask great questions. How do you create that tension in that community so that it happens? Engagement is something my students struggle with a lot. Yeah. Well, so, you know, let's think about a college campus. Imagine that the cafeteria and the commons at the college campus was one giant table. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work because if you didn't show up tomorrow, no one would miss you. It wouldn't work because it's too hard to talk to anybody. It's too hard to see anyone you recognize. So Facebook groups can get enormous amounts of activity, but it tends to go in bursts and it's hard to get to the magic number of seven. Like when there's seven people in a circle, they notice when there's only six. Yes. When there's seven people in a circle, connections are truly made. You know, we're doing a gathering for the coaches from the Alt-MBA in December. We've had 84 coaches. They've all been students at the Alt-MBA and then we made them coaches. None of them have physical proximity to each other. They live in Australia. They live in Germany. We invited 84 people to New York. They had to fly there at their own expense and more than 77 are coming. And that just astonishes me. Yes, I agree. And the reason it's working is because our provost, Kelly, has created these circles of seven, these groups of people who feel like they are part of something. And then that transfers to the next circle around them. So now you're at 49. So this is much, much harder work than making a PDF. This isn't about teaching two people. It's about creating circles of people. And at the beginning, the tension gets in your way because people don't want to join a circle because they're worried that if they do, they'll have to face shame. They're worried that if they do, their fears will become real. They're worried that if they do, they will let other people down. So getting them into the circle is not easy. We have to spend at least as much time getting them in the circle as we spend getting them in a course. But once they're in it, then extraordinary magic happens because now they are, not only are they transformed, they're surrounded by people who are transformed. Okay, I love this idea of these smaller circles, but when you have a community of people, let's say a thousand people sign up for your online course and you want a community for them, how do you create these smaller circles? Well, first, I didn't tell you to have a thousand people in one (laughs) circle. That's a good point. But, you know, we've had 6,000 people in, in the marketing seminar and we figured out how to make subgroups. We figured out how to encourage people to find the others. And there's probably a hundred different ways you could do that, but all of them require effort. Yes, It's the effort of saying, wow, I just charged this person 200 bucks. 
giving them digital stuff for 200 bucks, that means my profit margin is 200 bucks. Maybe I should put $12 worth of labor into this to find them six other people by hand, right? Yes. That, that this mindset that says this is a gold mine, it's not true. And the vast majority of people who don't have a huge following, who are busy trying to build an online course because it seems safe and fun and easy and profitable, are going to fail. And the reason they're going to fail is it's not that easy because there isn't a shortage of online content. There is a shortage of connection. Ah, it makes me really rethink how we connect people in our courses and what we can do, that extra effort and time and energy to create those groups where they can engage on a deeper level. So I love that. I always talk about community and the groups and the support, but this is different. So thank you for this because it will allow me to be a better teacher. So I appreciate you bringing this up. You're welcome. So I know that we have covered a lot and you've shared a lot of wisdom and helpful insight. I mean, the beautiful thing about you is you can say a lot in just a few short words. So I knew we would have a shorter interview than I usually do. But before I let you go, I was wondering if we could touch on one more thing. And that is this idea of always be testing. Can you share with me your thoughts around that concept? The manufacturing mindset is make it perfect. Because every time there's a defect, you get in trouble. You have to deal with customer service. You have to give a refund. Make it perfect. So once something gets pretty good, what we do is spend most of our effort making it perfect. The white tablecloth with one drop of red wine on it, we need to make it perfect. And the problem with that is you can't keep growing because you don't know and I don't know what's going to work next. So if we're spending all our time making it perfect, we're stuck. The alternative is to have a mindset of always be testing to say, because this medium is not TV, this medium is not how am I going to reach a million people at the same time? It's every time I interact with someone, it's going to be different. Challenge yourself to regularly act differently with different people and pay attention to what's working. That the act of always be testing lets you off the perfect hook and lets you instead be the generous explorer who's figuring out a new way to serve the people you already signed up to serve. Ah, so good. Seth, this has been so valuable. I mean, I can't wait to listen to this again and again to really let it all sink in and then take some action with it. So besides grabbing a copy of your new book, which I highly recommend, guys, and I'm going to link to it in my show notes. So I think this is a must read for all of us. Besides getting a copy of your book, where can people find out more about you? If you go to seths.blog or just type Seth into your favorite search engine, there I am. And at seths.blog slash TIM, I've got a video about the book for free and some other stuff. And if you want to see how I'm running a course, we would love to have you. We encourage you to steal as many ideas as you want. The next version of the marketing seminar will happen in January. Ah, can't wait. Thank you so much, Seth. Have a wonderful day. Oh, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for the time. So there you have it. I hope you loved this interview with Seth as much as I did. Oh, I just thought it was incredibly insightful. And I hope you loved the conversation around community as well. I know that I'm going to be sharing more and more about how digital course creators like you and me can actually build a community around our course content 
that will motivate and inspire and engage at a whole new level. So it's something I'm going to be thinking about more and more and sharing with all of you. So thank you so much for tuning in to this very special episode. I cannot wait to connect with you again next week. Bye for now.